sound crew out and do my job and flip my switches. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 240 years ago, the founders of this country came together. They came together under the conviction that our rights were granted not from a king, but from our creator. They came together under the conviction that our status was not determined if we were of nobility or of royal blood, but our status was that all men are created equal by our Creator. And these men came together and pledged their fortunes, their lives, and their sacred honor to create what we now know as the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. We live in a time 240 years later, and in our country we have banished our Creator. We have said, there is no God. Our rights do not come from God, but they come from the government. We live in a very perilous time in which we're sort of returning back to the point at which the founders of our country gathered together to be free. Well, I tell you, from God's Word, there is only one king. And our freedom is not dependent on any court It's not dependent on any man. It's not dependent, praise the Lord, on any candidate. But our freedom is in Christ alone. And the Word of God and the promise of God is something that is sure and is something that has stood the test of time. Empire has risen and fallen time after time after time again. Men have come and gone that have declared themselves God, that have declared themselves the Messiah, that have declared themselves the the bringer of rule or peace upon this earth, but there is only one Lord of Lords and only one Prince of Peace, and His name is Jesus. On this Independence Day weekend, when we celebrate our freedom, the freedom that we still have in this nation, the freedoms which are eroding quickly and going away, the freedom that has been bought and paid for by the blood of those who have gone before us. Let us be respectful and mindful and remember and honor the sacrifice. But let us not forget the true reason that we are free is in Christ. And this morning we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're sort of continuing on from our study this morning, and we have looked at how God established 
a shepherd boy to become king over his people. And to set the context here in chapter 7, God has taken David from being a shepherd and made him king. He is, he is no longer running from Saul. His kingdom is firmly established. He is secure. He's been not just anointed as, as king, but he's been inaugurated as king over all of Israel. And he's just completed the very first palace there in Jerusalem. And as he sits in his palace and looks over, he can actually look down and see the tabernacle that is there, that is faded, torn, the place where God's presence dwelt among his people. And he says, he says, I am going to build a house for the Lord. And God answers through Nathan with these words, and we're going to we're not going to study the, everything that Nathan shared with him that day. We're going to focus in. We're just going to zero in this morning for this time on verses 12 through 17. And Nathan declares God's word and, and the Lord declared, he says, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you and we just pause in this moment. We thank you, Lord, that you are still speaking. Lord, we thank you for your word and your, your promise your promise that you fulfilled to David, the promise that you made to David, the promise that you have fulfilled throughout time, the promise that you have fulfilled within yourself, and the, the promise that you will fulfill and complete one day. Lord, I pray that you would just open your word, and Lord, in this time together, we, may we fellowship with you and hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is something about this passage. This passage is a, a, couple, a couple notes. This is the longest section in which God speaks to his people directly through the prophet here since God spoke to Moses. In every other place God is speaking or he says a few things or a few words. This is actually the longest passage. Several, those, uh, several people much smarter than your pastor have noted that this particular chapter and passage in 2 Samuel is the crux of First and Second Samuel. It's the highlight, it's the key point, it's the climax, and yet it also unlocks really the mo one of the most significant aspects of the Messiah in the Old Testament that's only later filled in by Isaiah and Jeremiah and the, the prophets that would be to follow. You see something 
interesting. Something new is happening here as God is revealing His Word and making it more clear about His plan. Parts of what God spoke through Nathan to David related specifically to David in his time. And if you were in our study this morning, you realized, I I loved how our author brought out, in Old Testament prophecy, there's two, usually two fulfillments. There's a near fulfillment. There's parts of that message that were right for that specific time. But there's, there's also either allusions or pointing to God's ultimate plan and God's ultimate purpose that that don't maybe don't make sense right in that moment. We have the we have the um, the beauty of hindsight, which is uh, sometimes at least twenty twenty. I've heard, I've been told, and sometimes we even get that wrong. But we can actually look back and see that God was speaking not just to David and for David and Solomon, his son and his sons after him, but God was speaking ahead to His son. And so this morning, I want to really kind of follow that trail this morning because as I studied this passage, it just became became clear. And so number one from this passage of the promised king who would be to come, number one, we learn that God rules as the sovereign king of the universe. God rules as the sovereign king of the universe. Now David... David had fought some pretty significant battles in his life. He defeated um, Goliath. He had fought the Philistines. He had run from Saul and had several opportunities to take Saul out, who was trying to kill him. Um, here he has, he's established now as the king in Jerusalem. There's no rival to his throne now. He can rest. He can sit. He can rule. He can put down his sword, and he can be... King, he can sit in his chair and get his big gulp and get comfortable and really just kind of enjoy himself here for a moment. And in this moment and in this time, he, he's saying, okay, I'm ready to do something for God. I'm going to build him a house. And God comes back to him and says in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... David's just getting started really as king. Everything up, up to this has been in preparation to being king. And God has, God has kept that promise. And here God is speaking all the way ahead. He's zooming, zooming ahead. One day you're going to lay down, David, and you're not going to get up. One day, David, as powerful as you are right now, as, as young and as strong and as you are right now, one day... You are going to die. And you are going to go with your fathers. That's code, Old Testament code for you're going to heaven. You're going going to the afterlife. You're going to move on from this life. Do you think David was thinking about that in that moment? You know, we don't like to think a lot of... We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about it. We sometimes ignore. It's like the elephant in the room we ignore. I mean, it's, death happens, but it happens to other people. But ever since the garden, death has been sure. For all except the one who's conquered the grave. 
as much as we think we're in control, time tells us what? We're not in control. We're not in control like we, we think we're in control. I mean, we think, you're, we think we're in control. How many of you last night, when you laid down, told your heart to beat? How many of you, went, when you went to bed last night and you went to sleep, told your lungs to breathe? I know some of you are control freaks, and you, that freaks you out even just to think about that. To think that you, you can close your eyes and go to, you can go unconscious and your, your heart is going to beat just on its own. And your lungs are going to breathe. You don't have to tell any of that stuff to happen. Are we, keeping us, are we keeping ourselves alive at this very moment? I mean, if, if we, even, if we, even if we tried right now, you tried with your hardest to hold your breath and say, I'm going to not breathe. I'm, I'm going to not breathe. And some of you are probably strong-willed enough. You could hold out until you turned a different color and maybe like, you know, passed out or something. No one do that. This is hypothetical. Okay. You still couldn't do it. You get to a point. Okay, I got to breathe. How in control are we? What can we really control in this life? And if there's anything we learn, the the more we think we're in control, the really more the more deluded we we actually are. Because there's really only one in control, and that is God. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He tells David, he's speaking to David of a time, David, the day's going to come when you are going to be dead and gone. And he says in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. What do kings usually do about their kingdoms? Kings like to protect their kingdoms. Kings like to set up who's going to take over after them when they die. It's a plan of succession, not secession. That's a South Carolina term. Succession is what we're going to do, how they're planning for who's going to follow you after after they die, who's going to be next on the throne. And God is point blank telling David, his, basically his first full day as peace, as king, you're not even in control of that. I'm in control of that. And I'm in control. I'm in control of who lives and who dies. I'm in control of who sits on that really nice, brand new cedar throne that you have, you have built. I'm in control over that. You see, our response to God, who is the sovereign king of the universe, is number one, we've, we've got to remember and recognize God is the one in charge. He is God. We are not. It seems simple, but it's something that we must remind ourselves every day because we get, we get deluded. 
We have to let God be God. Surrender to Him and to His will and to His plan and to His sovereignty. He also, another just cool point in here, he says in verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. The, the hint right here to the Messiah that the Messiah is going to come from David's physical line. Just not just drop out of nowhere, but will be related to David. That's why it was so paramount when you read Matthew, the, the genealogies of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke. They, both gospel writers take pains to show Jesus was, goes all the way back to, I mean, Matthew shows all the way back to Abraham, but I mean, through the line of David and not just any line from David, but of the royal line of David. We must submit to our God who rules as the king of the universe. Number two, this passage teaches us that God establishes his kingdom for eternity. God establishes his kingdom for eternity. We all talk about different, you know, different empires or different dynasties. You study in sports, you look at the teams that have won uh, championships, and we just finished the NBA championship. Um, and when I was a kid, it was the Bulls and the Lakers. They won every year. What have the Bulls done lately? Do they even have a basketball team? Does anyone remember? I mean, you ask the kids now that talk about Michael Jordan, they don't know who you're talking about. But, yeah, come on now, right? I grew up singing like Mike. I want to be like Mike. I mean, I, I mean, sticking my tongue out, slam dunking the Nerf basketball on the three-foot goal. I mean, that's just what, you know, that's just what I did. Dynasties come and dynasties go. Nations come and nations go. But there's one king and one kingdom that lasts forever. And that's God and his kingdom. You see, we may think that we're in control and we may think that we can make things, keep things going or we can make things happen. But there's only one king that's going to be forever. Sometimes I wonder if I'm not preparing if I'm not building my life and building my family and preparing them to live in a kingdom that's not going to be here forever. I sometimes think that. When we talk about the American dream, to have a house and a car and a dog and two kids and whatever, a pool or a boat or something, whatever, whatever the dream is, I don't know what it is. But is that... Is that not preparing us to live in a earthly kingdom that one day is going to end? Either it's going to end or we're going to end, one or the other. Should we not, should I not, be preparing myself and my family 
for the spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is never going to end. That in light of eternity, this life is going to be a drop in the bucket. Gone in an instant. There could be another Great Depression. There could be. We've got that the, the Depression generation is hanging on with us, is heading to glory as the days pass. My grandfather was one who grew up and he remembers when the bank took the farm, when uh, they had to move out, they, they were kicked out off of the land. And uh, they had to move into a little four-room house and scrape to get by. And for that reason, he never voted again. Uh, he, he never voted for anyone ever again that didn't have a D next to their name. It didn't matter who they were. <laughs> he, uh, and um, he, didn't, he never trusted the bank again. I don't know how many jars he had hidden, little things hidden around, but now because of those two, because of that, that was just an indelible mark upon him and upon our nation to struggle through that time. We may face another one of those. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, you just turn on the television and you'll, you will hear people saying the Brexit, it's the end of the world. Last week when Great Britain voted to pull out of the European Union, it was like, this is it, this is the end, this is going to start a global catastrophe and everything. Um, it, it may, it may not. There might be another world war. There might be a World War III. There might be a global conflict again. I don't. I don't know. But I do know this. That in spite of what good or what bad may come, no matter what trials, no matter how difficult the future may be, there is a kingdom that is forever. And that is God's kingdom. And God is not in the business of establishing a partial kingdom or a halfway kingdom. He doesn't lose his interest. He doesn't lose his mind. His kingdom is secure. Verse 14, number 3, God fills his kingdom by his sacrifice. In verse 14, he says, I will be to him, speaking of David's descendant, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. Now, remember, there's a near fulfillment and there's a far fulfillment. Part of the near fulfillment is David, God is going to establish David, David's dynasty. And, and think about this. How long did Saul's dynasty last? Right? Yeah, just one, just him. It, he did, his dynasty began and ended with him. David's dynasty went generation after generation after generation. The whole rest of the Old Testament is David's dynasty. It didn't pass to another, another, another house. It stayed within the line of David. And in that line, when we get to the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 
And as you read, as we read through then study and we get to that, there'll be there's a succession. There's a good king who takes down the idols and God blesses them and there's a revival. And then the next king will come along and he will go back to idol worship and he will say he was pagan and, and all of that. There's just sort of this cycle between good kings and bad kings. And through it all, God promises David, I'm going to establish your throne, but I'm going to discipline those of your descendants who choose to sin. Who choose to sin. There's going to be discipline. So God is being totally gracious here, but He's also punishing sin. The far fulfillment. This jumped out of the page and hit me like a two-by-four. So we read through there. I see the Messiah all through this, and God and God and His Son, the King, the Eternal King. And then I read this, and it says... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I can't help but see the Son of God here. But then I struggle because it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. I think Jesus never sinned. This can't be about Jesus because Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. But guess what? Jesus never sinned, but on the cross, he took our sin. He took the iniquity of us all. And so when Christ was on the cross, He carried our sin and the Father looked down and He disciplined His own Son for His iniquity, not His own because He had none, but His that He was carrying, which was ours. And Isaiah would come along in Isaiah 53 and he would further, God would give further insight into this and say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. God was speaking to David and showing him there is a king that is coming, a king above all kings, and his kingdom is going to be eternal. It's going to be fixed. It's going to be secure. And I'm going to fill this kingdom because all of y'all are sinners. (laughs) We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And God the Father says... None of y'all deserve to be in this kingdom, but I'm going to fill this kingdom by my own sacrifice. I'm going to pay your price. God fills His kingdom by His sacrifice. Number four, God secures His kingdom by His love. When he says in verse 14, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. God's steadfast love, the Hebrew word here is chesed. Don't clear your throat. You kind of have to 
kind of th clear your throat when you say that. Chesed. Okay? It's a word, it's not just, you know, last week we talked about some of the Greek words understanding for love. Here in the Old Testament, we're in Hebrew. This is not just any word for love. And this does not mean um, a romantic love. This is not the love of your little boyfriend or your little girlfriend. This is not the love of a husband and a wife. This is, this is not romantic or emotional love. This is a loyal love. Actually, you could actually say if, you know, trying to translate it into English, there's more loyalty here than love. I mean, the love is there, but the idea is upon his steadfast love, his loyal love, his never giving up on us love. Does that not make us secure? Think about that. Think about God's love. And think about that his love is so sure that there's nothing in your past that he doesn't already know about or that he could know or find out if he could because he knows everything. But there's nothing in your past that would change his love for you. There's nothing in your present right now that could change his love for you. And there's nothing in your future that you, you haven't even done yet that could change his love for you. His love never gives up on you and me. His love never fails. It's not... Is that not the most secure feeling in the world? You know, the love and praise in men is a fickle thing. It changes. It fades. Some people are, are your friends for a season. Some people are your friends because of what you can do for them. And when you stop producing, guess where they go? They gone. The Lord loves us when we can offer him nothing. Amen. And he gives us everything. Isn't it interesting? I I can't wait to hear your conversations in your classes when you got to this point. You're talking about David wanted to build something for God. And what does God respond with? <laughs> it's kind of like he's laughing. That's cute, David. <laughs> that you want to build something for me. You want to build a temple for me? I'm about to build a temple that's going to blow your mind. And it's not going to be a temple made with human hands that's going to rot and catch on fire or fall over or get mold or get termites or any of that. I'm going to build a temple that's going to be forever. And in fact, this is going to mess you up. I'm going to send my son to dwell on the earth and he's going to die on the cross. And then 
Watch this. Your body is going to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. All because of his great love for us. God secures his kingdom by his love. We do nothing to earn this love. What's our only response? Our only response is to receive this love. And our response is grateful praise and thanking Him for all that He has done, all that He is doing, and all that He's going to do. Right here, David got a gut check from the Lord, and God God was gracious to, to David, kept His promise. In fact, By David being on the throne, that kept the promise that God made uh, to Jacob, to his son Judah, that saying the scepter would not depart from Judah. David becoming king was God keeping his promise from Genesis. Here God gives David the promise of the Messiah who was to come, who his kingdom would be established forever. And God keeps that promise. And one day Christ is going to return. And set foot on Mount Zion. And rule and reign. And his kingdom will know no end. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just come before you. And God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can, we can come together and we can, Lord, we can remember and we can celebrate. And Lord, many of us will be celebrating our country with our families and our friends um, this weekend and, and tomorrow. And we thank you for the men who gave their lives that we might have this freedom. Lord, we thank you that you gave your life that we might have ultimate freedom. We thank you for your great love for us and your kingdom which is established forever. Lord, no matter what happens in this world, what nations rise and fall, what empires rise and fall, what what men may plan and men may do, Lord, we recognize that you are the sovereign king. And Lord, we're part of your kingdom. We're citizens of another kingdom. And this world is not our home. You are. Lord, I pray that as we close, Lord, we would be thankful and mindful of all the blessings that we can only say only come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Marks, I invite you to stand. Pastor Marks is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. This is just our time of response. The Lord is leading on you to make a decision today or to do business with him. Pray now in this time of invitation we would just respond to the Lord as he as he leads us.